Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by listening in, and we're grateful for you. Um, Before we begin, I just want to encourage you to not let this podcast replace the local church in your life. God has designed it so that we are to join a local church and serve that body of believers and be shepherded by the pastor of that church. And that's something no podcast can give you. And so if you're not involved in a local church, let me encourage you to find one as soon as possible. Enjoy our podcast. Open your Bibles to John chapter 11. John 11. Well, we made it. It's the final Sunday of 2020. This has arguably been the most difficult year for any person who is alive today. There may be a few people that were born in the Great Depression that, or, or were alive during the Great Depression that could say that was worse. But, um, but arguably, it's been the most difficult year for any person alive today. Um, that is just considering COVID and everything that's come with it. That's not including everything else from this year. Um, in many ways, our year has felt like death. Like we've been, as a world, on our deathbed just waiting to finally fade off. But is that our story? Is that our story? There has been a running, I guess sort of a joke, but, but it's been kind of a thing all year that, that it's just been kind of believed, well, we just need to get through 2020, and 2021, everything will be back to normal. That, you know, like on January 1st, 2021, everything's just back to normal. And that's just not the case. That's not how it works. Like, I wish that were how it works because we'd only have a few more days, but that's just not how it works. Um, This is not the year any of us expected. When I was planning all the things I wanted to do as a church in 2020, um, none of those plans, most of those plans that I planned did not happen. Um, And I had no idea we wouldn't meet for three months this year. That we'd meet basically on, on, on the internet, um, some of us. But though this year has felt like death, God is the resurrection. It's not that in 2021 suddenly everything will be better, but there are endless opportunities before us to glorify God in our lives if we will just take them. John 11, I'm going to read, we're going to work through the entire chapter today. I'm going to read it in parts. So 1 through 16, we're going to start off with. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? 
If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Lazarus is ill. He's sick. Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha. We, we know some stuff about Mary and Martha from other parts of the Bible, but, but this is the only place Lazarus appears. We see Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. Perhaps you remember um, Jesus is there at, at their house. Um, Martha is the busybody. She's running around setting the table, getting dinner ready, going crazy. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him teach. Um, and, and there's that interchange where Martha comes and says, tell my sister to help me out. And Jesus says, she's chosen the good thing of these two. Um, you, you need to learn from her. These are Jesus' close friends. It says he loved them. Specifically, he speaks of Lazarus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Lazarus. Um, Bethany is where they're at. Bethany was a pretty close place to Jerusalem. Kind of the same about as Chula to Tifton. Kind of that distance. Um, likely where Jesus is. He's about 20 miles from Bethany. And a report comes to him. Lazarus is ill. And Jesus makes an odd statement. Verse 4. This illness does not lead to death. But we know the story. It's absolutely going to lead to death. Lazarus is going to die. So what is Jesus doing? What is he doing? He says this illness is for the glory of God. In verse 4. It's for the glory of God. The Son of God will be glorified through it. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He knows what's going to happen to Lazarus. He knows Lazarus is going to die, yet he is still content to say, this does not lead to death, ultimately. You know, 2020 has been unpredictable, but nothing in 2020 has taken Jesus by surprise. Nothing. You would think Jesus would, you know, jump up and take off to Bethany right away. You would think he would be, all right, let's get, to, let's get there as quick as we can so we can save Lazarus. But he doesn't do that. He, he doesn't do that. Look at verse 5. Actually, verse 6, I'm sorry. When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two more days in that place where he was. He's not in a hurry at all. If I were Jesus, you know, I would be like, all right, we got to get going. Pack your bags. Don't waste any time. Let's get over there. But, but he doesn't do that. He, he stays. Why does he wait? Is he lollygagging? What's wrong with him? Shockingly, he waits for Lazarus to die. And he waits for Lazarus to be dead a little bit before he gets up and goes. He waits so that Lazarus will die. He waits so that his sisters will have a funeral for Lazarus. Bury him and have to suffer through some mourning. We wouldn't think that's what Jesus would do, but that's exactly what he does. Mary and Martha send the message to Jesus. That's day one. 
Lazarus probably dies day two. Jesus waits two more days before he gets up and goes. You can imagine Mary and Martha sitting there at home on day one. Lazarus is about to die, and they're thinking, where is he? We, he's... Where is he? He's the one who can save our brother. Why isn't he here yet? Where is he? He's waiting. He's fully in control and waiting. Sometimes the best thing Jesus can do for us is wait for us to endure a trial and then come and rescue us from it. We don't understand that, but sometimes that's what he does. Why, and we're sitting there the whole time wondering, why isn't he here yet? He says this illness is for the glory of God. That's why he's waiting on Lazarus to die. The Son of God is going to be glorified through it. He's going to come and raise Lazarus from the dead. Maybe you've been asking, where is Jesus in 2020? Why hasn't he come and done anything yet? Why? He's waiting for the best moment. He's waiting for the moment to come. 2020, as with, the la- as with the death of Lazarus, is for the glory of God, that the Son of God would be glorified through it. Let me tell you what happens when times are hard, like right now, especially in a year like this. When, when times are hard, this is what we do. We lose hope. And we start to assume that there's no future. That it's started going down the hill and it's not going to stop. And it's just going to keep going down and keep going down and keep going down. And that, that's been the demeanor of a lot of people this year. Especially if you spend too much time watching the news or on social media. You will literally think from this point on there is no hope, there's no future, nothing at all. And that kind of thinking will lead you to terrible despair. It will lead you to depression and hopelessness. When I was up in Kentucky um, a few weeks ago, I, I, b- before we went to see my family, I spoke at my old BCM at my college. Um, my campus minister there has been one of the biggest mentors of my life. So we were um, spending some time together before I spoke. And I, I was just talking to him and saying, man, like, I know so many people right now that, that just think this is the end. And they're, they're, they're just, you know, constantly talking about how there's no hope, no future. And that's pretty discouraging, It just is. That is discouraging. And he says, yeah, I get that. He says, look, I I was alive in the 60s and 70s, and I remember it. Um, And it was as bad, if not worse, than than right now on some levels, in my opinion. Multiple people were assassinated. Martin Luther King, John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy. Racial tensions were worse then, maybe, than, than they are now. There were riots then, but we built ourselves back up. We recovered from that. We made it. And, and if all you ever think is that, that there's, you know, we've gone off the cliff and we're just going to keep falling until we crash our heads on a rock, that will lead you to terrible despair. And that despair this year might have taken your eyes off Jesus, off the Son of God and His glory. Jesus didn't fall off His throne this year any more than He did when Lazarus died. He's in full control. And He will bring us out of this. There will be good days again. We will see them. And then there will be bad days again. We will see those too. As Charles Dickens said, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. The best of times and the worst of times are an ebb and flow. We go up on mountains and we go down into valleys. That's how it works. The question is, 
What are you doing for Jesus in the midst of 2020? In the midst of all this stuff that has happened, did you just pause and not do anything? Or, 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 did, you, or did we try to figure out how to keep going despite all the roadblocks? Notice what the disciples say. Uh, verse, verse 8. Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you in that region. Are we going to go back? Like, it, it just happened. You remember last week when, when, when Jesus claimed to be equal with God, they picked up stones and tried to kill him, and he got away. They're, he's saying, the disciples are saying, hey, they were just trying to kill you there. We can't go back to that region. They're going to do it. And, and Jesus says, look, there's 12 hours in the day. We've got to do our work while there's time. That's what he says. We work while there's 12 hours in the day because there will come a time when the light is gone from the world. We work for Jesus until the time is up. And for us, the time is up when either we die or Christ returns. And neither of those have happened yet for us. And they don't understand, so Jesus just has to tell them plainly, look, Lazarus is dead. And he says, look, I'm glad I wasn't there. This is verse this is verse 15. I'm glad I wasn't there so that when we get there and I do this, you'll believe. Let's go to him. Then Thomas, the one who's always called Doubting Thomas, we, we only really see one incident in the whole Bible when Thomas doubts, but he gets that nickname as, as Doubting Thomas. He's, he's not doubting. He is definitely pessimistic. He says, all right, he's going to go die. Let's just go with him. We'll die too. Let's go. And so they all go. And we get to verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Lazarus has been, when they get there, Lazarus has already been in the tomb four days at that point. In fact, the passage drives that home. Um, it's going to mention more than once that he's dead four days. Why is that? Well, Jewish people typically believe that um, they, they would typically bury people pretty quickly. There wouldn't be three or four days in between a death and burial. They would b bury people pretty quickly. And, and you would expect they probably buried Lazarus within a day of him dying. And they believed that after three days, the death of someone was irrevocable. It was final. Some Jewish people believed the soul of a person kind of rested over the top of the body of the person for four days, and then it departed. And so that, that was a theory of some. Not everybody held to that. But the point is, Lazarus is dead. There's no turning this back. No, nothing's going to fix this in their mind. He's deader than a doornail in their mind. I don't know how dead a doornail is, but Lazarus is more dead than that. There's no fixing this. Jesus has raised people at other times, but never after four days. And Mary and Martha have accepted their brother's gone. He's gone. He's not coming back. 
Everyone is there bringing them food and consoling them. They are accepting this. Much like 2020. 2020 has felt like a train wreck. One bad thing after another. And we might have often felt like Mary and Martha felt here. Martha runs out. She sees Jesus. She walks out to him. She goes to him. Remember, Martha's the busybody. She's the one who's always serving Jesus, never really sitting at his feet and learning. She um, is going, she, she comes out to Jesus. Mary's going to come out after her. We'll read that in a minute. Martha goes out and she comes up to him and says, If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You could have stopped this. You could have stopped this. Why weren't you here? You were late. I hoped that you would be here, but now my brother is gone. You let me down, Jesus. But then she says, look, still though, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. I know there's still something you can do to help me. I don't know what that is, but I know there's still something you can do. And she's being logical, so Jesus goes logical with her. She's thinking, trying to think this out. That's how she's processing it. So Jesus just says, look, your brother's going to rise again. He's going to rise again. And Mary says, Mary says what we would all say after that. Look, I know... I know everyone's been telling me that. I know my brother's in a better place now. I know I'm going to see him again one day, but that doesn't offer me much comfort right now because I just want to see my brother again. And Jesus says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. Stop thinking of the resurrection as just something off in the future. For, for her, I am the resurrection and the life. For Martha, the resurrection isn't just some future event. He's standing right in front of her. And he says, look, believe. Believe in me. Some of you need this as to how you view 2020. Do you believe Christ can still do things in the world? Despite all the bad things that have happened this year? Do you think, do, do you believe Christ can still do things? Because some of you lost all hope when the nation went into lockdown. So some of you lost all hope when riots ensued in all the major cities of the country. Some of you lost all hope when you saw the election results. So some of you are as nervous as can possibly be regarding the runoff election in a couple weeks because every, every piece of mail in your mailbox is telling you that the future of your life is based on who wins. Listen, the kingdom of God is not in the hands of an election. The kingdom of God is not in the hands of a, of a va vaccine or a mask or anything else. The kingdom of God is going to last past all of those things. It will last. That's what the scriptures say. You will say, look, I know we're all going to get to heaven one day, but right now it's going to majorly change if the wrong person is elected. And you're doing exactly what Martha did. I know my brother's in a better place but she doesn't realize what Jesus is about to do in a few minutes. He's going to do something in a few minutes that isn't even close to far off in heaven one day. In a few minutes, he's going to do something. The kingdom of God is not built on who is in government. It's not about how safe our nation feels. Do you want to see the kingdom of God built? Do what the Bible calls you to do. Come to church and encourage one another. Reach out to the lost in your life. Serve the poor and oppressed. Teach your kids about Jesus. Love your spouse well. Find a younger person in our church and invest your life in them. That's how the kingdom of God has always changed the world. That's what we're called to do. That's it. In fact, 
All the times in history when Christians have put their hope in the government, it's led to disaster. Two examples, the Roman Empire. A guy named Constantine became a Christian, maybe. He at least started to respect Christians. He made the Roman Empire completely Christian, and it led to the downfall of the Roman Empire. Or in Europe, the church led the monarchy, and it became the least Christian thing possible. They would excommunicate you from the church just because they didn't like you. And the real church fled there and came to the new world, America, and set up a government where you didn't have to be a Christian to live in it. You had religious freedom. Martha says she believes, and she goes to find Mary. She goes back in, Mary comes back out, verse 28. When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I'm having deja vu. I've heard that before. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man also have kept this man from dying? Mary runs out. Martha's just had her little theological discussion with Jesus. She goes back in. Mary runs out. Mary's a lot different girl. Um, she's really empathetic. She's really emotional. She, she sits at the feet of Jesus. She, she loves Jesus. She comes out. And she falls at Jesus' feet. Interestingly, every time Mary, this Mary, is mentioned in the Bible, she's always at Jesus' feet. Here, later in chapter 12 and Luke chapter 10, always at the feet of Jesus. Mary's a model for us. Sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from Him. Sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from Him. She comes to Him and she says exactly what her sister said. Verse 32. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's what Martha said back in verse 21. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Almost like Mary and Martha were sitting around before Jesus got there, just saying, man, if Jesus were just here, this wouldn't have happened. And they're just talking about that to each other constantly. Mary comes out, and she's weeping. We didn't get any indication Martha was weeping when she came out. Mary comes out and she's weeping. She still hasn't gotten through this. She feels this in herself. And how does Jesus respond to her? Well, not with logic. He doesn't respond to her the way he responded to Martha. One of the worst things you can do for somebody mourning is respond with logic. That's one of the worst things. Respond with a cliche. Try to fix their problems. They don't need that. They just need you to weep with them. You end up just hurting them if you try to give them an answer for their pain. And it says Jesus is deeply moved and troubled. And he's going to weep eventually. Verse, um, verse 33. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then verse 35, he weeps. Why does Jesus weep? 
That's a question to ask. Why does he weep when he, when he interacts? I mean, it's not because Lazarus is dead, because he's going to raise Lazarus in just a few minutes. Why does he weep? Well, perhaps it's to empathize with Mary, and maybe that's definitely possible. Maybe he did that during this interchange, but I don't think that's the main reason. Because it doesn't say he was sad. It says he was greatly troubled. Your translation might actually say angry in spirit. That's how it reads in Greek. He was angry in spirit. Why is Jesus angry? Why is he angry right here? He's, he, he's angry because he's the creator. He created all things. He made his world very good, and sin and the curse have wrecked it. And Lazarus being dead, the one he loves, is a clear picture of what the curse has done to this good creation of his. He is angry. How dare you do this to what I made? And so he weeps. He hates what sin has done to the world. He weeps as he looks at a cursed creation. Don't think for a minute that Jesus doesn't weep over 2020. Don't think for a minute that he doesn't. Don't think he doesn't weep at the millions of people who have died of COVID. Don't think that he doesn't weep over the fearful spirit present in all his people now because of COVID, where we have to be scared that if we take a piece of mail out of our mailbox, we might inhale something and die from it. Like, like just an uncrazy fear that, that has been put in us. Don't think he doesn't weep over how many people have committed suicide from despair of being stuck at home this year. Don't think he doesn't weep over racial deaths and the riots that ensued because of them. Don't think he doesn't weep over how vile his people have been to one another over an election. How much the curse is apparent in his world. And so he says, where have you laid him? Where is he? I got to go fix this. Where is he at? And so they take him to the tomb, verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Mary, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus is deeply moved. He comes to Lazarus's tomb. He comes there. He's not calm in this event. It, 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 we tend to picture Jesus with like no emotion. If we've ever seen a movie about Jesus, mo some, some of them are good, but most of them, Jesus like never smiles. He never gets mad. He never has any expression on his face. He's just always this like straight-faced, monotone dude in, in movies about him where he's like the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And I'm over here like... <laughs> How do you take the most interesting person in the history of the universe and make him boring? That's what a lot of movies about Jesus do. Golly, help us. Jesus is emotionally agitated, as I apparently am, and he approaches the grave of his friend. He approaches that grave. He hates death. 
He hates it. He comes face to face with it at the grave. And he says, take the stone away. Get it out of here. We got to do this. And Martha, again, the logical one, says, we can't take the, st the stone away. He's been dead four days. The King James Version says, I, I love it, he stinketh. He stinketh. We can't take the stone away. He stinketh. You ever had a mouse die in your wall? I think we've got one in our house right now. It stinks real bad, doesn't it? Oh, this is a person, much bigger than a mouse. He says, look, I told you that this would happen if you believed. I told you that he would come back. I told you he would rise. Open the tomb up. They open the tomb, and Jesus prays, Father, I thank you that you sent me to do this. I don't pray this for me. I pray this for the people around me because they need to believe. That's what they need most. The thing Martha and Mary need more than their brother being back from the dead is to see the glory of Jesus and believe. Belief is what they need more than anything. So Jesus looks at the tomb, the stones rolled away, and he says, Lazarus, come out. A Puritan writer has noted that if he, had, if he hadn't said Lazarus' name, possibly the entire cemetery would have burst out of their graves at his voice. And everyone stands there and watches Lazarus come out of the tomb. You notice his legs are bound, so he doesn't walk out because his legs are bound. So we don't know if he, like, hopped out, or if maybe the Spirit of God carried him out. We don't know. But he comes out. He comes out, and Jesus says to them, unbind him and let him go. Literally, take the, gr the grave clothes off of him, but figuratively, he's no longer bound by death, so get him out of those grave clothes. He's back alive. How do you think Jesus is going to resurrect our year, our year that has felt like death? Well, it's not going to be through things just magically returning to normal. It's not going to be through any politician. It's not going to be through um, COVID going away, but God, please Brent, take COVID away. It's going to come through spiritual renewal, through spiritual resurrection, which is the symbolic thing going on as we see the literal story of what happens with Lazarus. It's meant to point to Jesus raises us to life. He does that. Death no longer has that hold on us. There's two events in American history. You, you've, you've probably heard about them in history class, though I don't remember learning too much about them. Um, the First Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening. First Great Awakening was a great move of the Spirit by God in American history um, through the preaching of men like John Wesley, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, where um, people had the normal things of church every week. They went to church, they heard the preaching of the word, they took the ordinances, they sang, they prayed, they gathered, and God did uh, an incredible revival simply through the ordinary means of church. He poured it out on them. People began to seek the face of God, they began to live holy lives and bear witness to Jesus, have real commitment to church, reach out to the lost, help the poor, like it was incredible. God poured it out through ordinary means. But a hundred years later was the Second Great Awakening, where a guy named Charles Finney and a few other guys saw what happened a hundred years ago and said, hey, let's, let's make that happen ourselves now, in our time. 
And so they started having special events and they tried to manufacture that sort of thing. And they used real emotional appeal to get people to make decisions. So they could say we had a thousand people get saved at this event. Yet most of the people who made decisions simply were responding emotionally instead of actually surrendering. These men tried to force what God had done a hundred years ago. Something they had no power to do. God had to do it. In, in the 2020s, I'm praying for a third great awakening, like the first one, not like the second one, where God pours out an incredible move of the Spirit simply through us doing the normal means of, of what we do here. The ordinary things that we do in church, hearing the Word preached and, and following Jesus, that He will pour out a great move of the Spirit just through that. Are you praying for that kind of thing? Final part of the passage, 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we going to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for one man to die than for the whole nation to perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God, excuse me, who were scattered abroad. So from that day on they made plans to put him to death." The Pharisees hear that Jesus literally raised a man from the dead. He was dead four days. He spoke. The man came out of the grave. And what do they do? They reject it. They've done nothing in the Gospel of John but reject Jesus, with the exception of maybe Nicodemus. They've done nothing but reject him. They, they say, what are we going to do? Uh, I don't know. How about you fall down and worship him? How about you do that? What, what else would you do? Well, they reject him. We've seen him do sign after sign in this book, turning water into wine, uh, feeding 5,000, giving sight to a blind man, so many others. This raising of Lazarus is the pinnacle of all of his signs in John, and they flat out reject it. They can't deny this one. You can't magic this up through magic tricks. Like, they can't deny what has been done, and they reject it. So what do they do? They, they say, what are we going to do? And their answer is, let's kill him. Let's kill him. But notice Caiaphas, 49. He makes this incredible statement. You, you don't understand, do you? It's better for one man to die than the whole nation perish. And then John gives a little interpretation. He didn't say this on his own accord, but he actually prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not only for the nation, but also to gather into one all the children of God who are scattered abroad. Caiaphas doesn't realize it, but he's predicting the gospel in his statement. He hates Jesus, but he predicts exactly what Jesus is going to do. One man is going to die for all the people. That, that's what's about to happen in the next few chapters in John. Jesus is going to be lifted up and glorified. And all who look to Him are going to be saved. 
And in dying, he will save all of the children of God scattered abroad down through all of history. The Apostle Paul and Justin Martyr and Augustine and Patrick and Thomas Aquinas and Martin Luther and Charles Spurgeon and William Carey and Lottie Moon and Billy Graham and Martin Lloyd-Jones and, and you and me and all who know him. So I ask you, do you know Jesus? Would you come to him? Would you believe? If 2020 has taught you anything, I hope it's taught you that you will die one day. So get right with God while you have the chance. Lazarus will die again. He will die again. Look at 12, 9 through 11. It's kind of funny what the Pharisees do. When the large crowds of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Huh? Jesus raised him from the dead. Let's just kill him again. See if that works. Let's just kill him again. Lazarus' sisters will have to mourn him another time. They will have to bury him again. They will have to have a second funeral for him. Maybe the only person in history who's had a second funeral, Lazarus. He's, he's going to die again. But as Jesus had told Martha, he will rise on the last day. He will rise again. But until then, there will be other bad days. So as we conclude 2020... Don't listen to all the doom and gloom people. Times like these bring them out of the woodworks. They kind of just assume we're all going to pot. It may still get worse before it gets better. I can't predict that, but let me offer you some hope. There will be good days again. Read your, read your Bible. His mercies are new every morning. We just sang about that earlier. Jesus will bring us out of this. He will resurrect our dead year. But then bad times will come again. Our year will die again at some point. It will. What do we do in the meantime? What well, the Bible has always called us to do. Let me give you four commitments for our coming year. And Chris, you can bring the screens down at this point. Four commitments for 2021 for you. Number one, commit to read your Bible every day. On the way out today, there's a Bible reading plan for next year. Um, I'll explain a little bit more about that in just a second. But, but commit to read your Bible every day. Uh, they did a survey recently. The number one indicator of a spiritually mature person is they read their Bible every day. Second, commit to growing your faith. Do not be satisfied where you are. At the end of 2021, will you be more like Jesus than, than you are right now? Will you be more mature in your faith than you are right now? Or will you be exactly as you are right this second? I hope not, because the only person who stays as they are forever is God. You will either grow in your faith or you will regress in your faith. Third, commit to faithfully be at church. Be here every week. Miss a Sunday or two for vacation, sure, but otherwise be here every week. I've heard from many people during this year of how much they realize now how much they need to be with God's people. It's not enough to simply watch it on Facebook. They've told me time and time again. Church is about singing and praying and hearing the word preached, but done apart from other people around you. It's not what God intended. And fourth and final, commit to make disciples next year. Pray for and witness to the lost people in your life. Find ways to pour into the next generation and raise them up in the faith. Serve the poor, serve the oppressed, and seek to bring God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. 
as John, as Jesus is going to say in John 15, which we'll look at in a few weeks, we bear much fruit and we prove to be his disciples. And so let that be your next year. Let's pray together. Father, you will bring us out of this time that we're in. You've always done that. Father, you will bring us to good times again, but then bad times will come again one day as well. But Lord, we have hope in the resurrection and the life. We don't have hope in the resurrection of our, of our time, of, of our bodies, of, of anything like that. We have hope in the actual resurrection, the person, Jesus. And so help us to fix our hope on him today. In Jesus' name, amen.